Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Election College, episode 86. What in the heck is a superdelegate? Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben. Yeah, Jason. There's all this talk about superdelegates... It has nothing to do with Republicans. It's all about Democrats. Do you know what a superdelegate is? I do, but I think for the sake of this episode, I should probably say I don't so that we can talk about it for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is like a a voyage of discovery for us, even though we kind of already know what it is. Yeah, a little bit. And you're not entirely true, truthful when you say that the Republicans don't have anything to do with it. But for the most part, you are. We'll get there eventually. Are you calling me a liar? No, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. Just just a half-truther. <laughs> Something like that. It's at least three-quarters that, of the way truth. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, a superdelegate is a delegate – Uh, We're going to talk a lot more about the Democrats here who are going to the DNC, the Democratic National Convention. They are seated automatically, and they're like, hey, I get to choose who I vote for. I don't care about who got elected or nominated or anything like that. I'm just awesome. For all intents and purposes, we can break everything down into three different kind of superdelegates. Uh, The first one is an elected member of the Democratic National Committee. And uh, then the second one is somebody who is a a party leader. Uh, Maybe they're a former president. Maybe they're the current president, uh, a vice president, somebody who's a leader in Congress, and anybody who happens to be like the chair of one of the committees of the DNC. And then the last thing is the... Uh, kind of a grouping of Democratic governors and members of Congress. And those would be just people who are currently in office. Yeah. So they're kind of super. If you're, in this case, a Democrat and you've been elected or you're pretty distinguished. I, for some reason, when I think of distinguished, I'm thinking more of like the monocle and the top hat. But um, I don't know. Do you think they wear monocles and top hats? I don't think they do anymore, but I think I think that'd be pretty cool if they brought that back. I might I might break my uh party lines or lack of party lines to to be a democrat if they like if their thing was wearing monocles. I don't know. You look good with a monocle. So. <laughs> anyway, so this is as opposed to just a a pledged just 
a pledge delegate. So a pledge delegate is somebody who is selected based on what's going on in the primary or the caucus, depending on what state you're in. Right. Yeah. So there are certain delegates who say, uh, we're just going to use the current election, for instance. I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, and you can't stop me. And then you vote, well, do I want this person to go in favor of Hillary Clinton? Or do I want this person to go in favor of, uh, for consistency, Bernie Sanders? Or do I want to go for an unpledged delegate who's going to go for whoever the winner of the state is? Yeah, so this really creates an interesting situation because you could have a candidate who is ahead in the state elections or state caucuses, and then the other candidate has the support of all these superdelegates, and it could result in an interesting convention. So part of what could make it a really interesting convention is that in some of the states, delegates are actually legally required to support the candidate to whom they're pledged. So let's say I say I am supportive of the Kool-Aid man. And then the oh, law yeah, says, the yeah, he's a good one. Ben, you have to vote for the Kool-Aid man because you said you would. So if they elect you as the delegate, you have to go and support the Kool-Aid man. And I get there and I'm like, I support Mr. Freeze, which I know he's not also <laughs> he's not also a beverage, but it sounded cool. Uh, that That would be against the law if I was from one of those states. However, yeah. there are states that aren't like that. Yeah, and it, it does get kind of crazy, and we will talk about the national conventions in the next episode. Whoa, Ben, I just gave the next episode away. Man, we had it under wraps for so long. <sighs> okay, so Ben, you ready to talk about the Democrats? Yeah. Okay, so in the Democratic Party, they have rules, and you've got these pledged delegates, and you've got unpledged delegates. And the pledge delegates are selected based on their preferences in the contest for the presidential nomination. So just like you were talking about, if a state, if in a state they decide, hey, we want to vote for, I can't remember if it was Kool-Aid Man or Mr. Freeze, <laughs> but if they decide that they're going to vote for the Kool-Aid Man, then by law, they have to do so. So... In the primaries, the voters are saying, hey, this is what we want to make sure our delegates are doing. So we got that straight, right? Pretty much. I think everybody has it straight. Another example, and this isn't really a super delegate thing, and I know we're into the Democrats right now, but if you recall, uh, if you're following current events, just a f few short weeks ago um, in the Republican Party, Ted Cruz came out and said to the Pennsylvania voters, at least, these are the candidates that have pledged their vote to me, no matter what, so vote for them so that they can get to go to the convention. And that's kind of what these pledge delegates are. They've already pledged to a, to a particular individual, and they're going to vote for that individual if they get chosen to go to the convention. So uh, hopefully we're making some sense here. Yeah, so the... Unpledged delegates are not to be confused in any way with pledged delegates. Are we 
ready to stop talking about pledged and unpledged <laughs> delegates. You know what we, we're we pretty good at, I think, is history. And maybe we should talk a little bit about the history of superdelegates. Yeah, sure. So let's go back in the time machine. It's 1968. Remember? Kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats are like, okay, we need to change change things up just a little bit. And they decided that they wanted to make the convention less subject to control by party leaders and be much more responsive to the votes that were cast during the campaign for the nomination. So some Democrats were like, um, wait a second, party leaders, they're pretty important. Elected officials, they're pretty important. We need to listen to them. And there's all kinds of philosophy behind that, you know, just making sure that the party appears to be unified and that um, things are going to go well for the party, in this case, the Democrats. So what they decided to do was adopt a rule that set aside some of the delegate slots for Democratic members of Congress and for state party chairs and vice chairs. Yeah, and so this kind of happened as a result of a commission. The Hunt Commission was its name uh, back in 1982. And originally they're like, hey, um, these superdelegates, they didn't call them superdelegates, but these people who get these spots, that's 30% of the delegates. But by the time everything actually rolled out and things were started being implemented, it was only 14%. And this was by uh, the 1984 election. Um, now it is higher now, but that was the, the point where we were then. But in 1984, the only people, like Jason mentioned, who were guaranteed to get this kind of honorary delegate status were state party chairs and vice chairs. And then the remaining places, the spots, um, they pretty much just split them up a couple different ways. Democrats in Congress could select people to be part of those spots. And then the rest of them were like, okay, well, the states can can fill those with, you know, maybe a governor or a, a mayor or somebody with the key to the city or just, you know, somebody they wanted to honor and respect, basically. That's what the key to the city does. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about that because, I mean, does that mean you can just go into McDonald's anytime? Or I think that's what it means. Do you have a key to your city, Jason? I, I don't have a key to my city. I don't have a key to my front door. I think you should have a key to your city and your front door, but but if I owned the city, I would give you a key to it. I actually think the key to my front door is still at your house. <laughs> Don't lose oh. that. <laughs> uh, hopefully my wife knows where it is. <laughs> anyway, so all Democratic National Committee members and all Democratic governors in 1984 were given superdelegate status. Can you imagine? So like if you win the gubernatorial election. I've, I just wanted to say gubernatorial. It just flows. But if you win your state election, you're a superdelegate. You should feel very proud of that fact. <laughs> and so there, there's that group. But then also you have the distinguished party leader category. How do you like that? That's pretty interesting for sure. <laughs> I mean, you've you've pretty much arrived. But anyway, I digress. That was a special 
distinguished <laughs> title given to certain party leaders uh, back in the 80s and then the 90s. But now everybody's just a, a super delegate. Yeah, so this has come up a couple times where it's been really interesting. Um, 2004, Howard Dean actually got a ah! lot of the votes. <laughs> I knew Sorry. you were going to do it, too. You did. Uh, Howard Dean got a, uh, a a big bump because of all the superdelegates he had committed to him. But it didn't matter because John Kerry just destroyed him. Uh, well, and also he did that scream, and that didn't help things along either. The 2008 race was, well, it was really interesting because uh, superdelegates made up about a fifth of the total number of Democratic delegates. And if you remember, Clinton and Obama were both really close. Um, we talked about this in the 2008 episode. They were just really, really close. And the superdelegates are essentially what put Obama over the top. I think he's, I think he still would have won slightly, but he definitely had the win with the superdelegates. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because traditionally the superdelegates have been very much Washington insider, uh, or at least perceived that way. Um, but with Clinton and Obama, I don't know. Could you say that Obama was the outsider candidate? Kind of was. I mean, he was only a senator well, I, for a couple of years. Yeah, he was definitely the outsider. I mean, Hillary lived in the White House and <laughs> had held larger notoriety, I think, by that point. So it is – I would certainly say, yeah, that Obama was the one who was trailing behind and kind of the underdog. Yeah. So, Jason, there's a lot of controversy over superdelegates. And this is coming from not only inside the Democratic Party – I'm sorry, you would expect it to come from – outside the Democratic Party, but it's also coming from inside the Democratic Party saying, well, if there's these superdelegates and they're going to vote for who they want to vote for, and they're already influential people who might have a connection somehow, how do I really know democracy is in play here? Yeah, it is kind of interesting because, I mean, you think about it, you do have a special status. If you're a superdelegate, you're, you're not popularly elected. You're not really... I don't even know how to say it, representatively elected. You're just appointed. And yeah, it's just another facet of our constitutional republic that we live in that even in the presidential nomination, party nomination process, that I guess you could get away with saying it is a little rigged. I also find it really interesting that sometimes you can have a candidate who is in the in the Senate or the the House, and many of the people who are superdelegates are their colleagues, and they'll be running for the office, and they're voting for someone who isn't one of their colleagues. That always really kind of throws me when I read about those instances, and actually have seen a few of those instances where it hasn't been the case. It seems like it's a system that really allows for insiders to be propelled. But it kind of allows a system where it's, well, kind of the most powerful sometimes, the most interesting other times. It's really, uh, it's certainly got a lot of facets to it. Yeah. So lots of awkward um, conversations or lack thereof 
around the dinner table in the Senate, you know, when all the, I, I can just see it, you know, because some of these committees that exist in, in the House and in the Senate, you know, you've got, you've got some pretty tight relationships and say you didn't vote for your colleague to the left here <laughs> and you decided, eh, I like somebody else better and it's all out in the public. I don't know. It just kind of could be awkward. Hey, Howard Dean uh, had recently ah! said, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we lose five listeners every time you do that. Uh, <laughs> it's worth it. Superdelegates don't represent people. I'm not elected by anyone. I'll do what I think is right for the country. So, I mean, there's a sense in which, yeah, I guess you're right. You're not elected uh, by the people, but wouldn't that, wouldn't what the people want be best for the country? I, I, I'm not saying that, that I actually think that. I'm just, uh, if we're talking strict democracy, that's what we say we believe. Right. But perhaps maybe somebody knows better than the people. I think that's the thing about all of you know, discussion around whether it's a superdelegate, wh- whether it's a fact that we have delegates to begin with. You know, if it, if we were a true democracy, it would just be, okay, this was the popular vote in each state, and then each state gets to say, this is who we want. Uh, and then actually, if you want to take it to a federal level, then that doesn't seem fair because – Everybody should have an equal vote, right? And it really isn't an equal vote. It's a representative type deal. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to our electoral college episode where we go into how how it is a representative form of government, not a democracy. Yeah. Interesting stuff for sure. Hey, uh, podcast land is definitely a democracy. The podcasts that you choose to support are the ones who make it and the ones who stick around. And we're grateful for your support. We're grateful that you continue to download our episodes, to engage with us on social media, uh, and also to click on our Amazon link. So we would love it if you would go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon and bookmark that page. And anytime you're shopping on Amazon, you just go through electioncollege.com slash Amazon and whatever you buy will be the same price on the same platform. But old Ben and Jason will get a 4% commission off of that. Yeah, that really helps us, though, pay for the hosting and other fees associated with putting the podcast together. And then, um, hey, I'd be really curious if you or any of your relatives have ever served as a delegate or even a super delegate. That would be pretty sweet to hear from you. So you can interact with us on our social media sites. We interact regularly on Twitter and Facebook. And when we feel like it, we hop over to Instagram and put some things up there. But uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you there. We uh, hope you like the show. We wish you would leave a rating and a review if you have not already. Thank you to the people who have done so. And uh, it helps other people find out about the show and hear about us. Yeah. So Ben, anything else about superdelegates? I think they should, we should make a video game. It's like, it's basically Super Mario, except it's called Super Delegates. And we just put like Howard Dean and uh, Al Gore. Ah! Sorry. 
<laughs> I was a little late on that. Uh, put them in as characters, and they'd be, they'd be super delicate brothers or something. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing a t-shirt. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we'll hey, we'll see you next time when we talk about conventions. <laughs> Take care. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>